Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. listening to performance anxiety on the pantheon podcast network and i am your host mark and i don't even want to do an introduction to this episode because i just want to get into these stories i'm joined by simon spence dudfield and martin goodacre of fabulous they exploded and flamed out in a span of 18 months in the early 90s but they accumulated a lifetime of stories in that blink of an eye they weren't even musicians when they started the band they're still not musicians they had somewhere between eight to ten bassists in that year and a half. They even wrote a song about one. Well, it was Craig Pike, and he didn't technically join the band because he had died. But they did have Keanu Reeves in the band for a minute after stuffing him in the trunk of their car. Another member just wandered off stage mid-gig, never to be seen again. Almost. And speaking of shows, theirs were so volatile that they only lasted 10 to 15 minutes on average. And they were banned from the majority of venues that they played. They were kidnapped and beaten after one particularly intense show. They blew off chances to work with Andy Weatherall, Rick Rubin, and the Beastie Boys, and spoiled a chance at a million-dollar contract. It's a short-lived musical career filled with destruction, fights, and regret. And it's possibly the most insane collection of stories I've ever heard in one place. Check out Fabulous wherever you get music. Follow them on the socials at... F-C-K-D-X Fabulous. Follow us at Performance ANX. Support us with merch at performanceanx.threadless.com or with coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. You can also help with a five-star rating or review. And now be prepared to lose your mind with Fabulous on Performance Anxiety on Pantheon Podcast Network. Okay. Okay, let's, let me do it then. Uh, then Martin can do it. My name's Simon Spence. Also known as Simon Dudfield, I'm, I'm actually an author. So in, in the UK, you know, I write quite well-known music books. But now we're talking about Fabulous, and we're talking to Mark on anxiety performance. No? Is it performance anxiety? So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, what it is is, okay, I've got it now. You know, my, my name is Simon Spence. I'm an author in the UK. I'm probably best known by, you know, the music books I've written, but we're talking to Mark on performance anxiety about a band me and Martin formed 30 years ago when we were both at the NME. We were both working at the NME and we got this band together and um, caused quite a stir, you know, but it has been 30 years and Martin is a successful photographer. You know, I was a fairly successful music journalist and after that slight hiccup with Fabulous, I've gone on to do quite a lot of books. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, breaking America. You know, we're, uh, we're coming back <laughs> to break America. Hi, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Martin Goodacre and... I was a uh, um, member of Fabulous that played guitar and helped write the songs. And that's why we're here today to talk about Fabulous, really. Uh, apart from that, I, I'm a photographer, uh, sort of almost famous once. And um, I'm doing a record label as well at the moment, Das Wasteland. And, uh, that, and uh, far away, Simon. Let's hear some Fabulous stories. <laughs> <laughs> what are we actually talking about? Well, fabulous. 
Fabulous. Okay. Uh, well, Simon will probably do most of the talking then. Oh, excellent. Well, let's get into it. First of all, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I'm, I'm really excited about this. This is really a hell of a story. I've, I've don't think I've heard anything like this outside of Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot like Spinal Tap. It was uh, particularly with our bass players. I mean, <laughs> Martin will tell you, but we formed with a good friend of Martin's, Ronnie. Kieran Flynn on bass guitar, who who sadly recently died. Um, oh wow! I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he went to the grave in a coffin that was. We had a we had a car in our heyday, which was dubbed the Fabmobile. Right. And it was it was spray painted all over, uh, not quite like John Lennon's Rolls Royce, but in a similar fashion, but by an artist called Paul Cannell who was well-known for doing the cover of Screamadelica over here, the Primal Scream album. Yeah, yeah. He straight-painted the car. It had lots of his insignia all over it, and on the back it had Arrest Me. And uh, Ronnie's friends had arranged it so that his coffin was was very similar to the car, and it had Arrest Me on the back of the coffin. So the last thing you saw was the coffin going in with Arrest Me on, on the back of it. Oh, uh, wow. But Ronnie, we had a manager. We didn't really have any manager, to be honest with you. We had, uh, we had a guy who was the enemy assistant editor, James Brown, and he went on to, for, uh, to found Loaded magazine. But James was quite highly strung. And, uh, <laughs> you know, m- many times we had sit-down meetings with... Uh, top level record industry executives. And I mean, I can remember sitting in these meetings being promised a lot of money and then somehow James never really managed to seal the deal. Oh no. (laughs) But James sacked Ronnie. We supported the Beastie Boys did a show over here uh, at the marquee. I mean, I can't remember what year, 91 maybe. And, uh, we supported the Beastie Boys and Ronnie turned up and he was wearing a bathrobe and a shower cap. And um... <laughs> that was a sackable offence. But to, to that story, there's an, uh, another story before that because we had a rehearsal before we did the gig uh, at the Marquee Club with the Beastie Boys. And James, our manager at the time, walks in to our rehearsal with all three Beastie Boys. Oh. And and then we, then they said, "Can we have a go?" And so they 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 played our instruments, and we just sat there. You know, <laughs> I, basically, I was a bit gobsmacked. Anyway, I was yeah. like, what? I can't believe the Beastie Boys are there. And we should we should have got on the mics and gone crazy, but instead we just said, "Like, okay, that's cool. Um, we really need to practice now. So, <laughs> do you mind just giving us our guitars back?" Oh my and, god. And, I, I, I still cringe at that moment now, you know, because instead of, like, going crazy on the mics, we were like, okay, that's good. You can play a bit of guitar, so what? <laughs> but that sound is like it went with the attitude of the band. But be, before we get too far into that, I kind of want to know how the band formed, because you guys weren't technically musicians when the band formed. Was Were you playing in well, bands I, before? Let me just, Mark, let me just finish the spinal tap, because oh, after yeah. Ronnie... After Ronnie, yeah, we had, and we must have had eight. I mean, we only, the band was only going for about a year. Right. Maybe just over a year, but we had about eight subsequent bass players. Oh, my uh, God. They didn't keep dying, but. uh, Well, we had had Keanu Reeves as a bass player for a short while. (laughs) I heard about that. You guys got to tell that story. But we've got to build up to that I'll, one. I'll start it. I'll, I'll, I'll start it, and then Simon can go back to the details. But for me, the, uh, I got a call from James, and he said, "Look, um, we've got Keanu Reeves with us, and we're going to go in uh, rehearse." <laughs> and I thought, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> I hadn't seen them for a couple of days, and then we got into the. I got into the. It was dark, and I got into the car. The Fabmobile, which is an old Austin 1800s, ugliest, ridiculous car you could ever imagine, spray painted to arrest me, <laughs> as Simon was saying. And um, I got in the car. There's nobody on the back seat. Simon's in the front. James, Simon and James are in the front. 
I sit on the back seat, and then from the bit where you keep all your luggage, a head pops up and, and it's kind of going, hi, man. <laughs> <laughs> like it's Bill and fucking Ted together. <laughs> it, and and then, then we drove to, uh, I'll let Simon carry on then, because, I, I mean, I don't know how you met. I think you met him in a club, didn't you, the night before? Yeah, yeah. So Keanu was, I, I mean... There was publicity. There was a lot of publicity about that, Mark. But uh, Keanu was a bass player. We had um, the chat. They went on to play with Mark Ronson and uh, Jamaraquai. Oh, okay. Stuart, Stuart, he was a bass player for a little while. Yeah, Stuart Zender, Stuart Zender, who married an old saint as well. And oh, wow. I, 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 re- I, I recently just heard an interview with him on the radio, Stuart Zender, and they said, because he's a funky bass player, he's based Stevie Wonder. They said, and said, but did you play in a punk band once? And he sort of, he went a bit quiet. He went a bit quiet. He said, he said yeah, um, they were called Fabulous, but they were anything but. <laughs> I thought, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't even want to practice with us because he was so funky. Oh, well, hey, you know, funky and punky don't always go together. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performance anxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performance anxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. So, yeah, because he he, he he plays the bass up here, you know, like oh. Mark King, like Mark King out of that level 42, isn't Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't slap to a bit of punk, really, can you? No. I mean, unless it's by accident. Right. <laughs> you, can slap, you can slap by accident, but not on purpose. Right. You guys were working at New Music Express, NME, when the band formed, but you weren't actually... Musicians at the time, you're a journalist and a photographer. Were you in bands prior to this? Did you guys play music before Fabulous formed? Uh, I had been in a few bands, and um, I, I started playing guitar about 15. And to this day now, I've, I've, I know nothing more than I did in that first like two weeks of learning myself to play guitar. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we were actually musicians in any way, but we. the great thing about... The, the attitude of punk was that you don't have to be a musician. I mean, I hate musicians. They're so boring. Yeah, and I, I hate these talented people who are either noodling away. Because <laughs> to me, it's all about it, it, the, the message, the attitude, and the idea that you don't have to be fucking quiet to listen to. I, I, I go to gigs down, people shushing me. And it, 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 I don't know what it's like for you, but Germany is quite weird with gigs in, where I live now. And... Um, you can't even really shout at the band, you know, like, you're shit, get off, <laughs> less, without and somebody turning around and, like, basically almost kicking you out. Wow. Although we did get kicked, we got, we did get kicked out of a, a, a Manic Street Preachers concert for, um, I don't know what we were doing wrong, but I got thrown out. <laughs> Getting overexcited. Oh, my gosh. So... Sammy, what about you? Were you in, in bands before? No, no, no. This was my first, my last and first and only band. Uh, <laughs> but what it was was that Martin was slightly older than me. So Martin had come from a beautiful location 
in the UK before we met in London and uh, uh, in the countryside called Malvern, which is Elgar, right, Martin? Elgar. Uh, Elgar. Elgar lived to get lived there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My next neighbour was what's the violinist called? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Nigel, Nigel Kennedy. Kennedy was my next door neighbour. Oh wow. Yeah. So so Malvern was a, a beautiful place, and uh, that's where Martin had grown up, and so. Martin had been in bands and really Martin had a ready-made band. So although I'd never done anything before, Martin had friends, Russell, Russell Underwood, uh, Ronnie, who we talked about, and uh, Robert Hodges, the drummer. So Martin had played in bands with those three before. So it was kind of, I think what happened was, you know, me and Martin used to get sent on, assignments together so we'd go and interview bands together mine mm. would do the photographs i did the writing and uh i don't know i think one time something was going on at the in the offices at the enemy the new musical express i mean it was the major music paper in the uk at the time yeah and uh i i was a pissed off about something or other and martin got me back to his place uh his flat and uh and I think that's how it started. You know, we were angry. I was angry about something. And then we went to Malvern and started. I think, first of all, we were going to be like a Stone Roses type Happy Mondays. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of it era. We were just going to jump on the bandwagon. But our drummer can only play a 4-4 a, a four, four fast and hard. So... <laughs> and then we have to punch that information into him. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's actually still living in the countryside there, actually, as well. Oh wow! So once we got started, we just we just went punk, and uh, that was it, really. Yeah, you know, we knew that because we had lots of contacts in the business that we'd probably get written about, and you know, that's how it. That the first gig was reviewed in the enemy. You know, maybe the second gig we had a full page spread in the face, God. and that was that was via a sort of girl that I was I knew at the time, and uh, ID magazine. You know that that was again through another girl we knew. So within the first sort of month of being a band, you know, we had a lot of record companies knocking on the door or trying to get hold of us or you know, and a lot yeah. of coverage. So we weren't really a normal band, you know, we wasn't, I mean, we would play like in those early days, which were the best gigs for me was like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. <laughs> wow. In a nightclub. In a nightclub. Yeah. Yeah. Always in a nightclub, a London nightclub. And then we'd, um, you know, so yeah, those early days were that were the, for me the best. And then, then it started to get like, People, we had a tour book to the first tour, and I remember, you know, you have to play at least 30 minutes to get paid. Oh, okay. You know, that sort of thing. And uh, So you did your set twice. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, we rarely got paid because it, we, it, we used to... Uh, oh, I, I used to sort <laughs> of smash all the monitors and the <laughs> microphone stands and... Whatever, you know, whatever. So we would always be getting into quite a lot of trouble, you know, or I'm not getting paid. I, I heard you guys on the first tour got banned from the majority of the venues that you played. Uh, yeah, well, we did, yeah. We got arrested a couple of times. We got, we got arrested <laughs> once for stealing a uh, vending machine out of a motorway service station. It was a Roger the Rabbit vending machine. <laughs> I, I, I got photos. They put us in the cells and just chucked us out in the morning. I got arrested again after um, a gig where somebody had given me some weird painkiller or something like that, and uh, I ended up smashing... We were travelling then in a London taxi, which was mine, and I ended up smashing the car up while the, all the band slept in it with a crook lock. <laughs> and then, the, then I think Hodge, the drummer, told the police, I, actually, he's over there. I, I, do, I did this while I was naked as well, so I just... Uh, how much of the plot I'd lost. And then I, um, yeah, they took me to, a, they put me in the cells again that night. Nothing serious, but, uh, you know, it, it was getting a bit out of hand. Yeah, yeah. You were singing uh, God, Give, his God, Gave Rock, God Gave Rock and Roll to me as it well. It was God Gave Rock and Roll to me, yeah. Oh, okay. wow. So, so, yeah, we, 
Well, because we kind of, we didn't really cut our teeth because the first gigs were, you know, in, in very sort of hip London nightclubs. So we would come on, it was sort of just, it was, it was still in the rave era, you know, the acid house rave era. Oh, okay. So we would come on and it would, so there would already be that uh, sort of shock and awe for a, to be a punk band there. Simon, tell, uh, tell the story about uh, uh, those cunts Radiohead. Yeah, so they opened up, they opened for you guys at one point? Well, not only did they open up for us, well, we did, because we were a hardworking band, we played two gigs that night. One of them was at Barrowlands in in Glasgow, which is a big venue, uh, maybe 2,000 people uh, supporting uh, some rubbish band. And then we headlined at King Tut's Wawa Hut, where Radiohead was supporting us. And we... uh, we, so we finished the first gig, which was brilliant. And the, the crowd sort of loved us and then booed us at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quality yeah. gig, man. So we get to King Tut's Wawa Hut and there's like, the radio has set up and they, they, they've got all their wires and everything hanging out and all these sophisticated equipment. And we said, look, uh, to save us sound checking, why don't we just use your equipment? And of course they said, no. And oh, they, were, they, were, they weren't very nice about it either. <laughs> so we said, okay, take it down. So they had to take all of their oh. apart. We put it, we put on stage these two tiny little amplifiers, <laughs> just had from the cord, said that'll do. And then they had to, re- to re-sound check themselves again then. And they, they, they didn't talk to us and they played to eight people. <laughs> we played to about 30, I think, at the most. <laughs> it's a great night. But they were they were so miserable. You could see, no. I think I think they just got signed to EMI, so they had like that massive backline, didn't they? All yeah, the, the first know. EP, the first EP, whatever it's called, or the first maybe the first album. I'm not even sure, but they weren't they weren't that popular at the time. They weren't as popular as they are now. Let's put it that way. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't I don't remember the Beastie Boys coming to rehearsal, but and I don't really remember much. Of, the thing I remember about that gig is there was a guy at the front shouting. You're not no. punk. You're not punk. You're not, You're punk. not real. And yeah. then I got so fed up, I booted the guy in the face. Oh yeah, bust, that was bust that was all his. That's not that gig. Bust all his nose. Oh god. And then I thought well, he, afterwards we kind of went to the dressing room and uh, he's there. He's there. He's coming. So I thought, oh my god, he's going to come and have a. You know, it's a fight now. Yes. And. Uh, more equal now because I've not got two foot up on the stage. And uh, he came back and he said, oh, you know, I love you guys. You are punk. You proved it by kicking me in the face, you know, so. Okay, that's true. I bought this like pretty cheap guitar just so I could uh, smash it up on the first song. You know, like most people smash it up at the end. I thought, okay, I'll I'll smash it up on the first song. (laughs) I took the guitar off and I started trying to do Pete Townsend, like really smashing it around like that. it just, it didn't break. And then this guy jumped up from the audience, picked up my guitar and in one go smashed it to pieces. And I just had to stand there. Quite an offensive gig that was, but uh, yeah. Praying Mantis turf and Beastie Boys. Oh my God. So sometimes we would be banned for, you know, we did behave like spoiled brats a lot of the time, but we felt that was appropriate, but it was, uh, we'd get banned for things like, you know, the, we didn't like the food that the promoter had prepared. <laughs> and uh, so that would go all over the wall and, or I do recall okay. setting fire to a dressing room one time. <laughs> oh my and, God. Uh, and another time, you know, there so there were incidents. We had a t-shirt that was, uh, that Paul Cannell, again, the Screamadelica, artist who's dead now he uh designed a t-shirt for us that had a, an erect penis on the cover yes actually it's the cover it's the cover of the cd yes but with a banana but we didn't that was you simon that's not me that's you on a t-shirt that's not me no it's it looks just like you people say it looks a little bit like me but i will cut you know it's <laughs> definitely not me but it is a man holding his erect, laying, laying back, holding an erect penis. And that was illegal. I think it still is illegal. <laughs> still is. We argued We argued that, you know, when you go into, I don't know what it's like in the US, but 
you know, UK garages to get your petrol. And uh, they used to have lots of pornographic magazine. So it was okay for women to uh, be displayed like that. But we said, well, there's the erect penis. And uh, so sometimes we'd get banned because of that, you know, they wouldn't want the T-shirt or... Students didn't like it. I heard that that was actually a very popular T-shirt design for you guys. They sold like hotcakes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We should have made more, really. We'd lost the plot by then. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, guys, I want to talk to you about socks for a second. Why not? It's a music podcast. But I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbait. Wait, Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran owned company. They have a huge variety of styles. So check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet and help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. So we weren't very organized. You know, we weren't very, um, we thought we'd do about 10 gigs and then get signed to a million pound record deal. I mean, that was really the idea. Yeah. So we weren't, uh, you know, so well, we, had a, we had a shocking t-shirt that was just part of it. It right. wasn't like, let's, we don't, let's do the merchandising. It wasn't really like that, you know. But I think that t-shirt, somebody said, you know, on eBay or it's quite, you know, I don't think you can get it, but I, I think Jeff might have said it was like, a hundred dollars or something like that for someone who'd got one, but oh, wow. I, mean, I don't have one. I don't have one, so uh, <laughs> oh, God. it's on our new compilation sleeve, though. But there's a um, instead of the erect penis now, there's a velvet underground banana on it for some yeah. reason. Yeah, for some reason, I hope you could peel it off. Oh, now that yeah. would, that's some packaging right there. Yeah, you know, we, we that was what we discussed with Jeff, but I think uh, you know, the costing was uh, an issue. So you guys recorded just a couple of singles, I guess it ended up being three singles. You recorded an entire album's worth of stuff, but only ended up releasing three singles. You worked with Peter Waterman, who was known more for pop music, and that reflected in the, in the album title, produced by Kylie. How did you guys end up working with Peter Waterman? Uh, well, with, with Waterman, it was... Uh... The first single we recorded with, uh, well, the, I'll give you the first, I'll give you the Waterman. Waterman was, uh, me and Martin went to interview. There was a period where just when the band started, the enemy would still let me write for them. Okay. And, and then they got to a point where, you know, maybe we're on the, in the Guardian newspaper or there was a point where the band got too popular or too well known for me to continue. They wouldn't let it. But in that brief period, me and Martin went to interview Malcolm McLaren. And uh, Martin took pictures of McLaren posing all around the Fabmobile. <laughs> and, and we talked to Malcolm about the band. And he said, you know, if you really want to make an impact, you have to sign with Peter Waterman, who was in this country best known. I don't think he's ever broken America, but in this country it was Kylie Minogue, Jason Donovan, you know, a lot of sort of manufactured pop act. So I don't think, I mean, me and mine wrote the songs, but I don't think either of us would claim to be great songwriters. So the idea that Waterman would write our hits was very appealing. Okay. And in in a way, like, uh, maybe like Zig Zig Sputnik. Okay. Maybe something along, you know. So initially Waterman had a Belgian hardcore uh, techno producer making the music for us. And we would have to rewrite the lyrics with Stock Aitken and Waterman. Oh, is that the uh, the guy from Lords of Acid? The the producer, but I I don't know. I I don't even know what his name was. You know, we weren't, we weren't very interested in music. You know, we weren't very interested in, you know, we were interested in music, but we weren't really that bothered about 
I, I can't remember the guy's name, you know. I think, it, I, I believe, and if I'm reading it right, I believe it was Praga Khan from Lords of Acid. Yeah, Praga Khan rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. It was Praga I, I, Khan. I remember, I, I remember going to a meeting and Water, Waterman said, okay, bring in some records of the stuff that you want to sound like. And I took in... Uh, Curtis Mayfield. <laughs> he goes, you've got to be fucking joking. You're never going to be able to do this. And then Simon showed him like Raw Power by Iggy Pop. And he goes, yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> we signed we signed with, it was, we did something with Andrew Lou Golden as well, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. Rolling Stones and was that the, the Stones cover that you guys did? Was that what you did with him? Something different. Oh uh, no, no. Uh, it, it was part. Yeah, it was during that time because he put us in touch with his partner, Calder. Then they sent us to some sort of somebody's shed outside <laughs> London to, to practice uh, to, with the guy who'd never even heard of Nirvana, who was the biggest band at the time. We were like, "What the fuck are we doing here?" Oh. Really? It, but things were starting. It was starting to fold up by then. Anyway, you know, we. I mean. It, We'd been through so much, and that the fact that we were like devolving rather than evolving was the, <laughs> yeah. you, you could see the danger signs, really. <laughs> All right, you okay? Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Okay, I just heard a clunk. <laughs> making sure. There we go. I was just thinking, you know, it's lucky we didn't get big at the time. We'd be even in a worse state that we're in now well, i probably Let's wouldn't have got you on the podcast can you hear me oh now i can i can see every time you mute i, I can it, it shows that you've muted on the screen I, I didn't mute though i just slipped it over to number one on those dots at the bottom that just, i think because you, you might be swiping the uh, the wrong way this is all what about now can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. This is yeah, all got to stay. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know why the thing's not working, but I, I can't, we'll waste time otherwise. So, no problem. No problem. All right. So you guys are working with Paul or Peter? Sorry, Peter, hey, Paul, you. maybe Mary. I don't know. So this is okay. So this is after the first singles come out, the Destined to Be Free with "There's a Riot Going On," which I love. I, I really love "There's a Riot Going On." That's a great track. If some some reason they they bring they bring Praga Khan in to write songs for you guys, everything kind of goes off the rails though. Yeah, yeah. The, the we, album we, never we, comes out. What ha- What, what we, happened? Well, the first single was uh, Enemy Single of the Week. which was uh, quite a hip record label. It had Manic Street Preachers, 
um not the charlatans what's the other one saint etienne ah. uh, flowered up they had quite you know it was a very fashionable record label and um they, want, they wanted us to produce their they wanted to do our second single as well and they wanted uh andy weatherall to produce us oh wow this, so, is, this is really this is this is another massive regret <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, well, we said no. Fuck off! Fuck off, Andy Weatherall. Basically, isn't that? Yeah. Well, he, he or maybe I did. Gig. Maybe I did. He, I don't know. he came to our gig and he was like a heavy metal biker with hair down to his waist, tattoos everywhere. Oh my god! And we we had a fight on stage where the sound man or something like that was wrestling with Simon on stage <laughs> to save. <laughs> To say that a piece of equipment, which was a mic stand, I think, not even a microphone, that Simon was trashing in great style, and Andy, wherever goes, it's just fucking brilliant. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll love to do the next single with you, or I think it might even been the first single anyway. And we just thought, like, I, I mean, I really liked him, and but <laughs> for some reason, we 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 thought we didn't need an acid house DJ to produce our record. I mean, that is the big, it's, it's, it's worse than the beast, not jamming with the beastie boys, you know, asking them for our <laughs> instruments back. Yeah. We, we, at the time, because Andy Weatherall was so ubiquitous, he was producing primal scream. He was the go-to guy in the record industry as a producer. Yeah. Uh, for some I, reason, we, for some reason I decided no thanks. We're going to sign with Kylie Minogue. You know, we're going to follow what Malcolm McLaren has told us. And so, yes. Yeah, so maybe that, maybe, you know, that's that sliding doors. It could have gone a diff. It could have gone a different way at that juncture. But, but you, you know, one thing is that I'm really quite happy that we never got really big because we probably would be total wankers by now or dead. And, and all of that money would not have helped made, made me happier in any possible way. Maybe. We turned down 40,000. This is in 1991. We turned down 40,000 pounds, non-payable. We didn't have to pay it back. Oh. Just, because, just because we thought we could get more. <laughs> oh, wow. We couldn't get any more. Then the phone stopped. Suddenly, to put things into perspective, right, we would all be sitting around the headquarters, my apartment in southeast London. The phone would constantly ring. We'd pick the phone up and go, no, and slam it back down. Oh, wow. It got to that, it got to that stage. And then suddenly, the phone sort of stopped ringing. <laughs> <laughs> and we were suddenly out traveling around every toilet. <laughs> venue in Britain supporting the Buzzcocks, I think, on a 30-date tour without without a hotel, without anywhere to sleep, without any money at all. We even had to pay for them to use their lights, you know. So that really that really burnt us out, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, Waterman sacked us. We, he had his TV show in the UK. It was a late-night TV show broadcast from a nightclub. And... Um, he invited us to play and we were in the middle of some sort of string of dates that were probably going badly. And uh, <laughs> it was because it was very late at night that the TV show was on TV. We were, we were kind of off our heads by the time it got to filming. And that was the point that Waterman didn't want to work with us anymore. Oh, he, wow. He'd had enough, you know, so that I is, think he was, I, I think he was looking for any excuse to, to <laughs> get out. Right. Do you think so? <laughs> well, he had, he'd hardly done any work for a year. I think we were with him for like, well, not a year, but it might have seemed like a year because we were we were trying to, you know, because it was every day trying to get hold of him, say what's going on. So yeah, well, he and, then, and then we couldn't get through anymore. We couldn't get through oh, to speak wow. to him. He said he's and, not uh, in. He's, he's, he's not in and he won't be in for the foreseeable future. <laughs> he will be and in every time you call. Be... Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so that, that's when we went to America to try and, uh, you know, because really we'd burn all our bridges in the UK. 
So we mm-hmm. wanted to break America. Yeah, I was gonna say, you're going to burn them in America, too. <laughs> it, was, it, was 19, it, was 19, uh, it was 1992, and punk had just got to America. The America thing was, Simon should tell the story in its entirety, because I wasn't there, and I still blame Simon and James for fucking everything up really badly. So is this... Because they had a meeting with Seymour Stein. Yeah, and Mo Austin, right? Yeah, Seymour yeah, Stein, I, Mo Austin, Rick Rubin. Whoa! Uh, there was some cat from uh, Sony Records who'd signed the Manic Street Preachers. Um, <laughs> so that was... Uh, oh, you know, there, there was strong interest in America, but we did balls it up. Yeah, we balls that right up, me and James. As, as James, James Brown, our manager at the time, said basically he had his checkbook with him and he could have written us anything. <sighs> wow. But, but lack of preparation. <laughs> yeah, I think we. On side, they didn't even take a, a tape or a video of us or anything. And then, <laughs> and then I think they were just shit faced at the meeting. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. Well, we, so. we did take a tape. We took a videotape of like <laughs> clips. We've been on TV in the UK. You know, we never really had a record deal. Even that first single with Heavenly. It was done on a handshake. Ronnie had sorted it out. It was done on a handshake. So we never had a record deal. Wow. And, uh, but we did get on, you know, but we were on like mainstream TV shows. And so we took a video, which was clips of TV shows and a bit of live stuff. I don't know, 10 minutes of the best stuff we thought. But then when we were in the big meeting, that was when we realized that the UK video format and the American video format was slightly different. And so our videotape wouldn't <laughs> play. Oh. And then James said, can you get your top off, Simon? Because he thought that by, you know, because I had a bit of a physique then. So he thought that by parading around topless, that would, that would <laughs> That'll get you a record deal. <laughs> that would get us a record deal. He also said... I was going to be the, he, he said, Simon's going to be the next Billy Idol. Forget about the band. Simon right. will be the next Billy Idol. If that's what he said. Oh my God. He was selling me out. In desperation. Me out the river, <laughs> oh but then we did get, we did, we were ill prepared for the, uh, even after that, they took us out for this big meal. And yeah, we, we, we'd spent some time with the Beastie Boys and uh, I don't know, we'd been up a lot. We'd been up many days, and we were we were badly behaved at that meeting. Also, you know, Mark, it was oh my god. But Rick Rubin wanted to produce us, and even after that, the guy from Sony Records who'd signed the Manic Street Preachers, he wanted to uh, continue working with us, and he had Kim Fowley lined up to produce us. Wow! And then I don't know what happened, but we, we, I do remember me and James ended up in San Francisco with the, uh, in the Grateful Dead, that hit the Grateful Dead psychiatrists <laughs> hot tub <laughs> and then arguing with James, James saying, you don't even know what you want. You don't know if you want to be a proper band and record an album or you just and do more albums or you just want to do one album and then like the Sex Pistols. I mean, it was all very Sex Pistols. Right, yeah. And it it was like, well, I don't know, it all fell to apart, really. James fell apart at that point and really uh, started to go, you know, he'd had had a lot of problems in his family. And um, he'd start to go... The story I remember is that they were so disgusted, Seymour Stein, that they all just left the the dinner table... (laughs) And left with James and Simon having to pay the bill, which was obviously in a very expensive restaurant. Oh my god! Yeah, and then James, uh, I, I can't remember where I got or how I got there. Like I can't remember a lot of this stuff, but I do remember James. Uh, I can't get into it with Seymour Stein. He just, uh, I think Seymour Stein quite liked the look of Russell, the guitarist, the oh. other guitarist, and. Uh, I can't remember why James went off with Seymour to try and rescue the deal somehow. And, you know, but Rick Rubin would have been quite good, I think. You know, yeah. would have been good to work with as well. But the same as Andy Weatherall, you know, it was uh, never, never to be, really. Yeah. <laughs> so where, where is the music that you recorded 
been for 30 years? I mean, has it been in your hands? Has it been in somebody else's possession? Because it's been kind of, I almost want to say mythical, that it's it's, well, it's been recorded and nobody knew what happened. Jay, I, I asked James, because he had the master tapes to uh, on two-inch on two tape of some of the recordings. He goes, I threw those away ages ago. Oh. When I was cleaning the house. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I, I had I had a couple of the, the master tapes, and I sent them to Jeff, and one of them wasn't even us. <laughs> he, said, he said, "He said, what about this track?" And I said, "That's not us." <laughs> he, he said, "Oh, thank God for that." Basically, okay. it was like jingle jangle pop bollocks. He did have. Uh, there are some recordings that Jeff has got for the album that I don't recall actually recording, but. Obviously, we, we did, you know, but I don't really remember doing it, you know, so... Uh, amazing. So th there was bits and bobs, I guess, that we did, and uh, here it all is now on CD with a nice booklet, you know. We, we always said that, you know, really the hype was, uh, was something to see, you know, all the yeah. media coverage that we managed to get for ourselves, you know, from very you know, from very little talent, let's be, let's be honest. And, uh, you know, and then to get, to get this sort of tsunami of publicity was, uh, so it's nice, it's nice to see in the CD, you know, some of that publicity collected, you know, for yeah. the booklet and, uh, and actually the music doesn't sound that bad. I, I you know, I, I always thought it sounded much worse than, than this, you know. Which yeah, I, 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 I played it to somebody uh, the other day, and they said it stands. It still stands quite well because mainly because it's sort of more a classic punky sound than what was going on. And we were the, yeah. at the time in the, in the UK. There was this movement, the uh, shoegazing movement. Oh yeah, and and bands bands were getting. You know, they had this sort of sonic sound, but they were really boring on stage because they were looking at their foot pedals all the time. Right. And, and, yeah. And, and and we we wanted to just sort of rock out, you know, like shaking our tits to the hits. So right. <laughs> so why uh, why release it thirty years after? Well, actually, uh, I started talking to Jeff about ten years ago. <laughs> it's, taken, <laughs> it's taken ten years. So okay, so so the band exists for a total of eighteen months or so, and then. Everything else takes forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think we just had to let it lie for a while because it really burnt us out anyway. Yeah. I mean, um, but I mean, I'm glad we, you know, it's out. It's great to, to have it out, you know, really. Yeah. I concur with what Martin said earlier. It was uh, probably a lucky escape because, you know, say even with that limited amount of success we had, we did sort of go a bit OTT and I think any more success would have, uh, well, I mean, some of us did go quite mad, you know, and, uh, you know, it would have been even worse, but uh, it's well, not. Uh, yeah. Russell, Russell, the second guitarist we had at the time, the original liner, he, uh, he, he lost control halfway through a tour after taking some LSD and yeah, he sort of uh, vanished, basically. Oh, wow. So we, we lost he walked, of, he walked uh, off yeah, stage mid-gig, yeah. Mid-gig, wasn't it, Martin? He walked off stage. and He walked off stage never to be seen again, well, for a while. But <laughs> oh he was God. actually living with me at the time, so I did see him. <laughs> <laughs> he, locked himself in, he locked himself in his bedroom, and occasionally his girlfriend would come out and go, um, can, can you help me with, with Russell? Oh. And I, I was... I was going. I can't face these. It was quite. It was quite dark actually. Wow. Yeah. But he came through. He, you know, he's sort of okay yeah. now. He's quite enthusiastic about this project as well. So it's great. Sort of brought us back together a bit. I don't. Yeah, that, that, that's been the good thing about it, catching up, because we never sat around for thirty years. You know, like what could have been pissing in our pints. You know, it was. Yeah. Uh, we just got on, you know, it was difficult after being a music journalist and then suddenly fronting that band is difficult to get back into music journalism, you know, because oh, we'd burnt yeah. our 
for photographers, I always thought it was easier. For Martin and Russell, who was also a photographer at the enemy, I, you know, because I'd been like the mouthpiece or the front person. So I'd been doing all the shouting about how great we were and how terrible everyone else was. So it was quite difficult, you know, and striding about in these yellow trousers. I just remembered another story then when when Suede, this this British Britpop pre almost pre Britpop band, yeah yeah, uh, supported us uh, in South London, and we met them on the stairs. It was Brett Anderson and Bernard Butler, and they said, "You hate us, don't you?" We said, "Yes, yes, we hate fucking every we hate everyone." <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of they, they sort of minced off, you know, into the distance with their, their oh. testing. And so, you know, things caught up with us as well because we were slagging everyone off. So yeah. when the initial shock of us suddenly being apparent became apparent, basically people couldn't wait to get the knives in when things yeah. started to go slightly downhill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had a chance to listen to the album and it's really cool, man. The, the singles are great, but the two tracks that are my favorite that sit down out to me the most, I love Dead Friends. And that was a single for you guys. So you guys released that was, I think, the last single. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think. That was on, my, on King Late label that I set up a, a label for that. Um, yeah, that that song was actually about a, a, guy, a bass player who nearly played with us, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he died nine. actually before before he was the bass player with I, 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 Iggy Pop, and he had joined a band called The Hypnotics. And yes, I know them. Yeah, he, he followed us around on tour. He loved being with us. And then um, he was great as well. I mean, he's a proper musician, so he could actually play. So right. he could teach us a little bit. <laughs> and then um, he, he was with the Hypnotics, and uh, they they went, uh, they, they all sort of lived together in a squat in South London, and they were looking for a cup to make a cup of tea with. And and they, they walked into his room, and he was, he'd been dead for like two days. Oh, my God. Yeah, never. So that was what that song's about. His dead friends, really. It's like, yeah, oh. yeah. Hey, what was he called, Martin? Craig. Craig. Yeah, yeah. He died. He you know. So I think that, I think we can claim Craig as uh, like the tenth bass player, and he died. You know. So that's that's another spinal yeah. tap. That is but so tap. We used to call him Sludge. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> you know, I remember I got his leather trousers. Do you remember? No, I've not got them now, but I, I can't imagine wearing them. them off the dead body. Yeah, yeah, come on, let's see. <laughs> no, no, I, but I did get his leather trousers off him. Yeah, yeah. So the hypnotics, yeah, that was sort of what that was about. That was uh, that is a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. That one. That's insane. Well, all right. So the other song that I, that I should say is my other favorite, and maybe a guy's got a crazy story about this one. Is Capital Gold. <laughs> just about how boring the radio was at the time in London. Yeah. Oh, that's not crazy we at all. Yeah, the, the indie thing was getting, you know, like I said earlier with the shoegaze and stuff, it was getting a bit boring. So we, you know, just basically 
saying how boring your radio is in London. Okay. But um, and with a few other sort of things. <laughs> Man, I kind of blew the load there with the uh, the dead bassist. I should have asked that one second. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, spinal tap, yeah. But it was, um, you know, I think because we weren't in the studio very much, we never got, I just remember the first single, which was that uh, there's a riot going on. I re- you know, we didn't know what we were doing. So I remember Ronnie saying, oh, can you make him sound like he's in a dustbin <laughs> on my vocals? <laughs> that, that was suddenly it. He wasn't. And I think with Capital Gold, it was like there was, you know, we we never. I don't know if we could have evolved. I don't, you know, it, potentially we could have. You know, I guess bands do. You know, some bands, some. Have, you know, maybe they go away for a few years and then come back. But yeah. for us, it was this is just <laughs> we know that never happened to us. Oh. You know, I I, I said. I always say we were uh, we weren't punk rock, we were prank rock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how that's how I like to categorize it. You know, like really, it. yeah, prank rock. R- remember where you heard that first? Exactly. It's gonna be the hashtag for this episode. <laughs> so, are th- are there any other tracks in the vault to come out later on? Maybe. Uh, well, I- I've written. I've got a new track ready to go, but it's basically just me. But I'm gonna put out under fabulous at some point oh awesome the album is well by the time this comes out the album will be out it's in the top billboard top 100 <laughs> countdown <laughs> what, what are there plans for you guys for anything beyond just releasing the album or is there going to be more music coming out or uh well, well jeff jeff uh, who put the cd together who used to work for ryko discs he says uh Keanu Reeves is interested in having <laughs> some of these songs on his new movie. I'm not sure which movie it is. I think it's The Matrix. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to maybe chase up that offer from Rick Rubin. I mean, we can't do Andy Weatherall. He's dead now, but maybe, maybe. Rick Rubin. I'm going to chase up Rick. I uh, a story. And I was thinking, yeah, I, forget about Martin and Russell. I'm thinking of just going straight to LA and getting some like hair metal you band. Reach out to Billy Idol. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could step uh, but, uh, in. Uh, to uh, Billy Idol. Uh, I got a story uh, going back to Andy Weverall. Uh, I, I went to see a, a, a premiere of a movie with James about a couple of years ago, and there was this guy with a big beard, and it, it, James and inside talk his girlfriend was there and I, I started you know and we were having a really cool conversation and I thought god this guy is so familiar and then at the end of it Jay said uh, and uh, Andy Weverell it was Andy Weverell basically you know, <laughs> and he said okay see you later he goes okay see you Andy and I thought that's Andy Weverell I really want to apologize <laughs> Andy yeah, we've probably got quite a few people to apologise to, really. If you, uh, well, I mean, I'd yeah. like to take this opportunity of- to apologise to Martin because we did support Zodiac Mind Warp, who was like oh, a, no. a biker rocker. And um, oh my god, I've heard that in there. You know, I managed to get away. I, I did the usual, which was booting all the monitors off stage and uh, <laughs> trashing whatever equipment I could get my hands on and. I think Zodiac Mind Warp had some. I'm not sure they were they were bikers, and uh, they came on stage to get me, and I managed to run out into the audience and out <laughs> the front door of the venue, and was away on my toes. But I think they got older, Martin, and Martin went to hospital that night. So oh, no. uh, I think that's quite as that's that's the apology. They, they, they kidnapped us basically. They locked us in a room, and. And then came in occasionally to beat us. <laughs> oh my god! I was I was off down the high street. I was on the Simon, side. Of Simon, Simon ran. You, sorry, I was just getting a glass of wine. But you ran straight off the stage as a fight started. A guy, one of the bouncers, hit me over the back with uh, one of those old style metal fire extinguishers. Oh my Basically, god! That put me to the ground. Oh my. god. God. And I wasn't doing anything. I didn't do anything. I was just playing a guitar. They were after Simon. Yeah. Simon yeah. ran through the crowd and straight out into the streets of London, of Croydon, <laughs> or wherever it was. You guys need yeah, to do it. Was Croydon, there wasn't Croydon, was it? It's Hillsford. 
Yeah, it was my fault. Uh, yeah. You guys need to do a follow-up album and title it Kidnapped by Zodiac Mind Warp. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't Zodiac Mind Warp. They, I don't think they were even, even paid any attention. It was the bouncers at this place called the Ilford Island who were... What was it? Used right. to dealing with, like, thugs, basically. Oh. They couldn't believe it when we started smashing up their stage and their lights. They really didn't like it. Oh, well, yeah. Because they took total offense. Where can people find the album? How can they get a hold of the album? And is there a social media presence for the band or for you guys personally that you'd like to share? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that. Thanks. <laughs> um, I have no idea, actually. I thought it was already out. and <laughs> we, were already, we were already in the Billboard Top 100. <laughs> 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 oh, I love you guys. And, uh, and Lady Gaga wants to now uh, do something with us. Yeah, yeah. A collab. The, the offer's flying in. <laughs> so where can they can they get the album? Where is it going to be on streaming platforms? Or do you have to buy a physical copy? Yeah, I hope so. Um, you're asking the wrong person here, really. <laughs> yeah, Jeff would be the person to ask. We, we've, got, we've got some physical CDs, so I imagine there are going to be physical CDs in the USA. And I imagine Jeff will put it on Spotify as well. Is there a social media presence? The other thing, social media, again, we don't really, Jeff is, is <laughs> we don't do any of that. I mean, I, I have, I, I've just finished a book with... Uh, but we're artists. We don't have to deal with social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, guys. I think there's a Facebook site, maybe. Do you remember playing in Manchester? Facebook. Do you remember playing in Manchester, Martin, when the guy shouted out Sham 69? Certainly, from, I remember that. Yeah, that was a great game. From the audience, he shouted out Sham 69. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah, yeah. and I was so insulted at that particular point, but now I, I really quite like Sham 69. It was a compliment. Didn't you guys? <laughs> at the time, I was like horrified. No, no, we're more like the MC5. What are you talking about? Were you guys not Sham 69? Legend, well, I'm, 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 sorry, uh, Legend had it. You guys recorded a cover of Wooly Bully, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Andrew Lou Goldham thought it was a great idea we should do this song i think because he owns the rights for it or something <laughs> like that but, but it, yeah they trying to get i've never heard that bloody song and it's like that i hate but now i thought that it's probably a really good idea <laughs> we could have brought back proper rock and roll like the stray cats or, or you know shawaddy waddy it probably would have sounded like <laughs> yeah. well, or shanana my, my favorite oh. uh, there you go bowser uh, we could have done Let's Go to the Hop as the B-side. Oh, my God. You guys are doing that. That You know, I actually would have bought that. <laughs> I still well, might. You, might. you know, you could come back as a, a, a pure rock and roll band because I, I only listen to pure rock and roll now anyway. I don't, you know. And uh, right-wing punk. Oh, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, guys... I don't want to. I don't want this to end mid-story. So, okay. I yeah. really thanks for your time, Mark. It's uh, much appreciated. You know. Well, I'm in with you guys. I, I'm I'm <laughs> completely bought into fabulous. I, I I can't believe you actually like it though. I mean, <laughs> I I'll tell you. I honestly I I love Dead Friends and I love Capital Gold. Poor Petrol Interface. I mean. Poor, poor petrol in the face is uh, it's, it's not about pouring <laughs> petrol in a woman's face <laughs> it's not actually physically about pouring petrol in a woman's face it's about actually burning down a country that is so messed up and it's more messed up than it is now you know we, we have to yeah. go for this Brexit thing and when I listened to that I thought that was the anthem we wrote the anthem to Brexit ages ago for the, to the, the antiphony of the uh, of, of Brexit and this uh, insular uh, patriotism that uh, that Great Britain's going for, flag waving idiots everywhere, basically, and that's that's a powerful political song. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I just want Green Day to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, who's, the, who's, the, who's the big punk? One? What's that guy called? Machine Gun Willie. Yes, that's exactly it. Machine Gun Willie. I think he's <laughs> or, Kid, or Kid Rock. Steamboat. Willie, 
Steamboat Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I'm I'm gonna look you guys up on I, Martin. I've been look, checking out your photography. It's it's brilliant. I I'm a photographer. Well, I was for about twelve years before I had kids. Now I just kind of do as a side. But yeah, yeah. I and I love it. Simon, I I've, I've got to check out your books cuz I wasn't familiar until we started this. So I right, right. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a little easier to check out photography, you know, photos in a book. So but I I have to get into it. So I'm Yeah, I'm, to any publishers out there, I'll be very happy to do a book with you. <laughs> hey, but, but at the moment I'm very busy with the fabulous reunion uh BD <laughs> now available on Super Megabot Records. <laughs> awesome, guys. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate all your time and the amazing stories. It's been just incredible. I love it. Thank you. Thank you.